Chapter fourteen of the House of the Arrow by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen: An experiment and a discovery. Gaston answered the bell. Will you please send Francine Royard here? Said Hanaud. Gaston, however, stood his ground. He looked beyond Hanaud to Betty. If Mademoiselle gives me the order, he said respectfully. At once, then, Gaston. Betty replied and she sat down in a chair francine royard was apparently difficult to persuade for the minutes passed and when at last she did come into the treasure room she was scared and reluctant she was a girl hardly over twenty very neat and trim and pretty and rather like some wild shy creature out of the woods she looked round the group which awaited her with restless eyes and a sullen air of suspicion but it was the suspicion of wild people for townsfolk rollard said hanaud gently i sent for you for i want another woman to help me in acting a little scene he turned towards anne upcott now mademoiselle will you please repeat exactly your movements here on the night when madame harlow died you came into the room so you stood by the electric light switch there you turned it on you noticed the time and you turned it off quickly for this communicating door stood wide open so and a strong light poured out of madame harlow's bedroom through the doorway hanaud was very busy placing himself first by the side of anne to make sure that she stood in the exact place which she had described and then running across the room to set wide open the communicating door you could just see the light gleaming on the ornaments and panels of the sedan chair on the other side of the fireplace on your right so and there mademoiselle you stood in the darkness and his words lengthened out now with tiny intervals between each one you heard the sound of the struggle in the bedroom and caught some words spoken in a clear whisper yes anne replied with a shiver the solemn manner of authority with which he spoke obviously alarmed her she looked at him with troubled eyes then will you stand there once more he continued and once more listen as you listened on that night i thank you he went away to betty now mademoiselle and you francine royard will you both please come with me he walked towards the communicating door but betty did not even attempt to rise from her chair monsieur hanaud she said with her cheeks very white and her voice shaking i can guess what you propose to do but it is horrible and rather cruel to us and i cannot see how it will help anne upcott broke in before hanaud could reply she was more troubled even than betty though without doubt hers was to be the easier part it cannot help at all she said why must we pretend now the dreadful thing which was lived then hanaud turned about in the doorway ladies i beg you to let me have my way i think that when i have finished you will yourselves understand that my experiment has not been without its use i understand of course that moments like these bring their distress but you will pardon me i am not thinking of you and there was so much quietude and gravity in the detective's voice that his words harsh though they were carried with them no offence no i am thinking of a woman more than double the age of either of you whose unhappy life came to an end here on the night of the twenty seventh of april 
i am remembering two photographs which you mademoiselle harlow showed me this morning i am moved by them yes that is the truth he closed his eyes as if he saw those two portraits with their dreadful contrast impressed upon his eyelids i am her advocate he cried aloud in a stirring voice the tragic woman i stand for her if she was done to death i mean to know and i mean to punish never had frobisher believed that hanaud could have been so transfigured could have felt or spoken with so much passion he stood before them an erect and menacing figure all his grossness melted out of him a man with a flaming sword as for you two ladies you are young what does a little distress matter to you a few shivers of discomfort how long will they last i beg you not to hinder me betty rose up from her chair without another word but she did not rise without an effort and when she stood up at last she swayed upon her feet and her face was as white as chalk come francine she said pronouncing her words like a person with an impediment of speech we must show monsieur hanaud that we are not the cowards he takes us for but francine still held back i don't understand it all i am only a poor girl and this frightens me the police they set traps the police hanaud laughed and how often do they catch the innocent in them tell me that mademoiselle francine he turned almost contemptuously towards mrs harlow's bedroom betty and francine followed upon his heels the others trooped in behind with frobisher last of all he indeed was as reluctant to witness hanaud's experiment as the girls were to take a part in it it savoured of the theatrical there was to be some sort of imagined reproduction of the scene which Anne upcrot had described no doubt with the object of testing her sincerity it would really be a test of nerves more than a test of honesty and to jim was therefore neither reliable nor fair play he paused in the doorway to say a word of encouragement to anne but she was gazing again with that curious air of perplexity at the clock upon the marquetry cabinet there is nothing to fear anne he said and she withdrew her eyes from the clock they were dancing now as she turned them upon frobisher i wondered whether i should ever hear you call me by my name she said with a smile thank you jim she hesitated and then the blood suddenly mounted into her face i'll tell you i was a little jealous she added in a low voice and with a little laugh at herself as though she was a trifle ashamed of the confession jim was luckily spared the awkwardness of an answer by the appearance of hanaud in the doorway i hate to interrupt monsieur frobisher he said with a smile but it is of a real importance that mademoiselle should listen without anything to distract her jim followed hanaud into the bedroom and was startled the commissaire and his secretary and monsieur bex were in a group apart near to one of the windows petty harlow was stretched upon mrs harlow's bed francine rollard stood against the wall near to the door clearly frightened out of her wits and glancing from side to side with the furtive restless eyes of the half-tamed but it was not this curious spectacle which so surprised jim frobisher but something strange something which almost shocked in the aspect of betty herself she was leaning upon an elbow with her eyes fixed upon the doorway and the queerest most inscrutable fierce look in them that he had ever seen 
she was quite lost to her environment the experiment from which francine shrank had no meaning for her she was possessed the old phrase leapt into jim's thoughts though her face was as still as a mask a mask of frozen passion it was only for a second however that the strange seizure lasted betty's face relaxed she dropped back upon the bed with her eyes upon hanaud like one waiting for instructions hanaud by pointing a finger directed jim to take his place amongst the group at the window he placed himself upon one side of the bed and beckoned to francine very slowly she approached the end of the bed hanaud directed her in the same silent way to come opposite to him on the other side of the bed for a little while francine refused she stood stubbornly shaking her head at the very foot of the bed she was terrified of some trick and when at last at a sign from betty she took up the position assigned to her she minced to it gingerly as though she feared the floor would open beneath her feet hanaud made her another sign and she looked at a scrap of paper on which hanaud had written some words the paper and her orders had obviously been given to her whilst jim was talking to anne upcott francine knew what she was supposed to do but her suspicious peasant nature utterly rebelled against it hanaud beckoned to her with his eyes riveted upon her compelling her and against her will she bent forwards over the bed and across betty harlow's body a nod from hanaud now and she spoke in a low clear whisper that will do now and hardly had she spoken those few words which anne upcott said she had heard on the night of mrs harlow's death but hanaud himself must repeat them and also in a whisper having whispered he cried aloud towards the doorway in his natural voice did you hear mademoiselle was that the whisper which reached your ears on the night when madame died all those in the bedroom waited for the answer in suspense francine rollard indeed with her eyes fixed upon hanaud in a very agony of doubt and the answer came yes but whoever whispered whispered twice this afternoon on the night when i came down in the dark to the treasure room the words were only whispered once it was the same voice which whispered them twice mademoiselle yes i think so i noticed no difference uh, yes and hanaud flung out his arms with a comic gesture of despair and addressed the room you understand now my little experiment a voice that whispers how shall one tell it from another voice that whispers there is no intonation no depth no lightness there is not even sex in a voice which whispers we have no clue no not the slightest to the identity of the person who whispered that will do now on the night when madame harlow died he waved his hand towards monsieur bex i will be glad if you will open now those cupboards and mademoiselle harlow will tell us to the best of her knowledge whether anything has been taken or anything disturbed hanaud returned to the treasure room leaving monsieur bex and betty at their work with the commissaire and his secretary to supervise them jim frobisher followed him he was very far from believing that hanaud had truthfully explained the intention of his experiment the impossibility of identifying a voice which whispers here was something with which hanaud must have been familiar from a hundred cases 
no that interpretation would certainly not work there was quite another true reason for this melodramatic little scene which he had staged he was following hanaud in the hope of finding out that reason when he heard him speaking in a low voice and he stopped inside the dressing-room close to the communicating door where he could hear every word and yet not be seen himself mademoiselle hanaud was saying to anne upcott there is something about this clock here which troubles you yes of course it's nonsense i must be wrong for here is the cabinet and on it stands the clock jim could gather from the two voices that they were both standing together close to the marquetry cabinet yes yes hanaud urged still you are troubled there was a moment's silence jim could imagine the girl looking from the clock to the door by which she had stood and back again from the door to the clock surely that scene in the bedroom had been staged to extort some admission from anne upcott or the falsity of her story was he now since the experiment had failed resorting to another trick setting a fresh trap well he asked insistently why are you troubled it seems to me anne replied in a voice of doubt that the clock is lower now than it was of course it can't be and i had only one swift glance of it yet my recollection is so vivid the room standing out revealed in the moment of bright light and then vanishing into darkness again yes the, the clock seemed to me to be placed higher and suddenly she stopped as if a warning hand had been laid upon her arm would she resume jim was still wondering when silently like a swift animal hanaud was in the doorway and confronting him yes monsieur frobisher he said with an odd note of relief in his voice we shall have to enlist you in the surete very soon that i can see come in he took jim by the arm and led him into the room as for that matter of the clock mademoiselle the light goes up and goes out it would have been a marvel if you had within that flash of vision seen every detail precisely true no there is nothing there he flung himself into a chair and sat for a little while silent in an attitude of dejection you said this morning to me monsieur that i had nothing to go upon that i was guessing here and guessing there stirring up old troubles which had better be left quietly in their graves and at the end discovering nothing upon my word i believe you are right my little experiment was there ever a failure more abject hanaud sat up alertly what is the matter he asked jim frobisher had had a brain wave the utter disappointment upon hanaud's face and in his attitude had enlightened him yes his experiment had failed for it was aimed at francine royard he had summoned her without warning he had bidden her upon the instant to act a scene nay to take the chief part in it in the hope that it would work upon her and break her down to a confession of guilt he suspected anne well then anne must have had an accomplice to discover the accomplice there was the object of the experiment and it had failed abjectly as hanaud himself confessed francine had shrunk from the ordeal no doubt but the reason of the shrinking was manifest fear of the police suspicion of a trap the furtive helplessness of the ignorant 
she had not delivered herself into hanaud's toils but not a word of this conjecture did jim reveal to hanaud to his question what was the matter he answered simply nothing hanaud beat with the palms of his hands upon the arms of his chair nothing eh nothing that's the only answer in this case to every question to every search nothing 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 and as he ended in a sinking voice a startled cry rang out in the bedroom betty anne exclaimed hanaud threw off his dejection like an overcoat jim fancied that he was out of his chair and across the dressing-room before the sound of the cry had ceased certainly betty could not have moved she was standing in front of the dressing-table looking down at a big jewel-case of dark blue morocco leather and she was lifting up and down the open lid of it with an expression of utter incredulity aha said hanaud it is unlocked we have something after all monsieur frobisher here is a jewel-case unlocked and jewel-cases do not unlock themselves it was here he looked towards the cupboard in the wall of which the door stood open yes said betty i opened the door and took the case out by the side handles the lid came open when i touched it will you look through it please and see whether anything is missing while betty began to examine the contents of the jewel case hanaud went to francine who stood apart he took her by the arm and led her to the door i am sorry if i frightened you francine he said but after all we are not such alarming people the police eh no so long as good little maids hold their good little tongues we can be very good friends of course if there is chatter little francine and gossip little francine and that good-looking baker's boy is to-morrow spreading over dijon the story of hanaud's little experiment hanaud will know where to look for the chatterers monsieur i shall not say one word cried francine and how wise that will be little francine hanaud rejoined in a horribly smooth and silky voice for hanaud can be the wickedest of wicked uncles to naughty little chatterers oh yes he seizes them tight so and it will be ever so long before he says to them that will do now he rounded off his threats with a quite friendly laugh and gently pushed francine rollard from the room then he returned to betty who had lifted the tray out of the box and was opening some smaller cases which had been lying at the bottom the light danced upon pendant and bracelet buckle and ring but betty still searched you miss something mademoiselle yes it was after all certain that you would hanaud continued if murders are committed there will be some reason i will even venture to guess that the jewel which you miss is of great value it is betty admitted but i expect it has only been mislaid no doubt we shall find it somewhere tucked away in a drawer she spoke with very great eagerness and a note of supplication that the matter should rest there in any case what has disappeared is mine isn't it and i'm not going to imitate monsieur boris i make no complaint hanaud shook his head you are very kind mademoiselle but we cannot alas say here that will do now it was strange to jim to notice how he kept harping upon the words of that whisper we are not dealing with a case of theft but with a case of murder we must go on what is it that you miss 
a pearl necklace betty answered reluctantly a big one it was noticeable that as betty's reluctance increased hanaud became more peremptory and abrupt oh, not so very describe it to me mademoiselle betty hesitated she stood with a troubled face looking out upon the garden then with a shrug of resignation she obeyed there were thirty-five pearls not so very large but they were perfectly matched and of a beautiful pink my uncle took a great deal of trouble and some years to collect them madame told me herself that they actually cost him nearly a hundred thousand pounds they would be worth more even now a fortune then cried hanaud not a person in that room had any belief that the necklace would be found laid aside somewhere by chance here was hanaud's case building itself up steadily another story was added to it this afternoon this or that experiment might fail what did that matter a motive for the murder came to light now jim had an intuition that nothing now could prevent a definite result that the truth like a beam of light that travels for a million of years would in the end strike upon a dark spot and that someone would stand helpless and dazzled in the glare the criminal who knew of this necklace of yours mademoiselle besides yourself hanaud asked everyone in the house monsieur madame wore it nearly always she wore it then on the day of her death yes i betty began and she turned towards anne for confirmation and then swiftly turned away again i think so i am sure of it said anne steadily though her face had grown rather white and her eyes anxious how long has francine roulard been with you hanaud asked of betty three years oh no a little more she is the only maid i have ever had betty answered with a laugh i see hanaud said thoughtfully and what he saw it seemed to jim frobisher that everyone else in the room saw too for no one looked at anne upcott old servants do not steal valuable necklaces anne upcott and jean baudin the nurse were the only newcomers in the maison grenelle these many years and jean baudin had the best of characters thus the argument seemed to run though no one expressed it in words hanaud turned his attention to the lock of the cupboard and shook his head over it then he crossed to the dressing-table and the morocco case aha he said with a lively interest this is a different affair and he bent down closely over it the case was not locked with a key at all there were three small gilt knobs in the front of the case and the lock was set by the number of revolutions given to each knob these of course could be varied with each knob and all must be known before the case could be opened mrs harlow's jewels had been guarded by a formula there has been no violence use here said hanaud standing up again of course my aunt may have forgotten to lock the case said betty of course that's possible hanaud agreed and of course this room was open to anyone between the time of my aunt's funeral and sunday morning when the doors were sealed a week in fact with boris waberski in the house said hanaud yes y yes said betty o only uh, but i expect it just mislaid and we shall find it you see monsieur boris expected to get some money from my lawyers in london no doubt he meant to make a bargain with me doesn't look as if he'd stolen it he wouldn't want a thousand pounds if he had 
jim had left boris out of his speculations he had recollected him with a thrill of hope that he would be discovered to be the thief when hanaud mentioned his name but the hope died away again before the reluctant and deadly reasoning of betty harlow on the other hand if boris and anne were really accomplices in the murder because he wanted his legacy the necklace might well have been anne's share more and more whichever way one looked at it the facts pointed damningly towards anne well we will see if it has been mislaid said hanaud but meanwhile mademoiselle it would be well for you to lock that case up and take it some time this afternoon to your bankers betty shut down the lid and spun the knobs one after the other three times a swift succession of sharp little clicks was heard in the room you have not used i hope the combination which madame harlow used said hanaud i never knew the combination she used said betty she lifted the jewel case back into the cupboard and the search of the drawers and the cupboards began but it was as barren of result as had been the search of the treasure-room for the arrow we can do no more said hanaud yes one thing more the correction came quietly from anne upcott she was standing by herself very pale and defiant she knew now that she was suspected the very care with which every one had avoided even looking at her had left her in no doubt hanaud looked about the room what more can we do he asked you can search my rooms no cried betty violently i won't have it if you please said anne it is only fair to me monsieur bex nodded violently mademoiselle could not be more correct said he anne addressed herself to hanaud i shall not go with you there is nothing locked in my room except a small leather dispatch case you will find the key to that in the left-hand drawer of my dressing-table i will wait for you in the library hanaud bowed and before he could move from his position betty did a thing for which jem could have hugged her there and then before them all she went straight to anne and set her arm about her waist i'll wait with you anne she said of course it's ridiculous and she led anne out of the room End of chapter 14